Welcome back, everyone, to the first few podcasts. I'm super excited to be back, knowing that in the past couple of weeks, we haven't done um, a lot to be active, but now with our new team, we've been able to restructure, and that's why I'm super excited to be talking to our guest and our new team member, Kenya Burton, today. How are you doing, Kenya? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How are you doing with this whole COVID thing? I know you're going to a lot of protests. Yeah, I've been trying to be as safe as possible with everything going on, especially because my sister's a nurse. So she's kind of in the heat of it. So I have to be double careful, but I've been enjoying myself being out there and being with people. Yeah. What's the longest protest you've been on in terms of like walking distance? Walking distance. I did east side to seaside. So we walked all the way from east side Salinas to CSUMB and my body, (laughs) I can't even explain how sore I was. I think altogether it was 13, 14 miles. Wow. Yeah, but at least I could tell my kids about it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Did you walk back too, or was it just two there? No, it was just two there. We had like an event and a vigil. Hmm. And so everyone had their cars and we all started vans. So the way back, everyone was just like on the floor sitting down. We already knew no one's going to walk back to Salinas. Right. Cool. So I know that social justice, which is what you're going to be talking about today, is a big issue and, and kind of topic that is talked about, but not very much, like it's not talked about in detail a lot. So before we get to that, I really want to get to know you a lot better. So we're going to be diving into your story. And then after we're going to go into some quick speed round questions. So start us off. Who is Kenya Burton? So just because I always introduce myself, my name is Kenya Burton. I just turned 20 on the 30th, which I feel like an adult. That's weird. Yeah. But um, I'm from born and raised in Salinas, California. I live in East Salinas, so East Side. I was raised in a single parent home by my beautiful mother, Kathy. And I have two sisters, one older, Selena, and a younger sister, Aaliyah, which is really weird. I always tell people that they're both named after singers, but I'm named after a country. I don't know what went through their heads, but I guess I'll keep it. It's nice. No one has it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For me, I always tell people a big part of my story is being a survivor, and it led a lot to the work that I do now. Um, I'm a survivor of domestic violence. My father was abusive, and he was also um, mentally ill. So a lot of what I do is application to people who are mentally ill, people who are going from poverty, from domestic violence survivors, anything like that, you'll probably find me. So it became a, a giant part of what I do, and especially who I was as a person. And a lot of people who know me know me as like, I'm 5'11", fun fact. And so I'm like this human, like I tower over people and I'm super loud and I'm like, I'll get the party started. But when I was little, I was super shy and I was super quiet, which is something you see a lot with abuse victims constantly being told you have to be silent. Don't talk about anything. CPS gets involved. You never see your mom again. Mm -hmm. So it became one of those things where finding my voice took a really long time because I never felt like my voice was deserving enough that there wasn't anything special about me why should anyone even hear what I have to say Hmm. and it took me a while to get to there but um another fun fact my dad was a rapper and so he was like actually like a like name brand in Monterey County and where he was from he's from Chicago and he would always have these like hundreds of notebooks like from high school that were filled with poetry and he would let me like play with songs and play on his piano and guitar and stuff like that. And I'm a singer. So it kind of started with that where I would write lyrics. 
And so that was one thing that like, despite everything that happened, it's something that I'm thankful for that I got because I was able to write down everything that I was feeling. So the things that I wasn't allowed to talk about, I talked about in my notebooks, but I would keep them like hidden in a closet or something like no one got to see that. That's my notebook. And so eventually I remember I had a notebook and I was writing in it and my teacher's like, you're always writing in it. And I think I was like in middle school and I'm like, yeah, I like to write poetry. And she was the first black woman that like I had a true connection to. And she was like, you know what? She would be like, your hair is beautiful. Your outfit looks great today. And she would really try to like empower me, especially because she knew as being a black stricken woman, I, it constantly felt like I was fighting between two sides. I was raised primarily in a Mexican community with my Mexican family and the only kind of connection I had was with an estranged father that was not a healthy relationship whatsoever. So she knew that I needed kind of a mentor to discover both halves and not kind of lean towards what was easier because other people can't really understand where I came from. And from there, she ended up convincing me to do a poetry competition. And I ended up winning, which was pretty crazy because I was like, oh, I kind of think I'm stupid, but I guess I'll do it. And I ended up winning. And from there, I met all these other people. And when it comes to environments like that, it's very much about who you are and embracing who you are despite your challenges. And that's one thing that I constantly tell people that, yes, my story may be like abuse and poverty. And like, I probably shouldn't even be alive by the amount of stuff that I've gone through, but I am, you know, and it's about embracing and not being ashamed. Cause for so long I was like, oh, like I must have done something to deserve this life. Like, what did I do, you know? And that's just the abuse is like, that's the expectation you take because if you've been told your whole life that something's wrong with you or that you deserve something, of course you're never going to speak out and be like, no, I deserve to be here. My mm. words matter. Mm. And so now I get to work with other little girls who are like me and I'm like, you look good today. Like, I love your hair. So I'm like so thankful that I had people in my life later on after we kind of escaped that situation and it kind of created who I am today because I know even though I went through all that suffering and that pain, it was meant to happen. You know, I wouldn't be the person I am today if I hadn't have gone through it. Right. And so it, it seems like poetry is a big part of who you are. Um, do you yeah. have any sort of instance that you remember that, you know, you think about a lot in terms of poetry um, that helps you keep going and keep on writing? Yeah. So um, something great that happened is I performed poetry all throughout like middle school and high school and I went a lot I did a lot of competitions and stuff and it was great to be a part of that environment but I remember um, the judges I would always make them cry and I always felt really bad because every time I do poetry people cry but they were like you know what you're gonna be famous and then you're gonna come back and you're gonna and that was my goal I was like you know what when I come back I'm taking one of your guys' seats I want to judge like you know and I ended up, I think a couple of months later, I get a call and it's one of the judges and they're like, we want you to judge for the poetry competitions. So it's like the same competitions I had been doing for four years. I'm like 18 now judging them with these like national ranking poetry people. And it was just a great experience. And especially because I remember I was judging and after petition was over, a girl came up to me and she was like, you wrote that poem. It was called Survival Skills 101. She was like, I remember that. She's like, I, I remember thinking like, how am I going to get a voice like that? And she's like, you're actually, this year I decided to perform because I remembered you. And I remember you said you were scared, but you still spoke. So, and she's like, is there any way you can help me get better? And I never like 
it was like that moment hit me that like this is the reason I do this stuff like I never realized like I to me poetry has always been healing but in my way like my voice has allowed other people to heal and I've had mm -hmm. other survivors come to me and be like you know what you knew like <laughs> it was like you just said my life because everything that I felt and everything that I had gone through is so similar to other people especially when we think about how many people are survivors of domestic violence and we have no idea about it because people don't talk about it it's a shame mm -hmm. like some people feel shame towards it but I think that moment actually let me see that it's more than just me in this and I was like I'm gonna keep going like I'm never stopping I'll probably be 80 like limping up to a stage and sharing my work but that's really why I do it, it was that specific moment where I was like I'm supposed to be here <laughs> right um when you think about like poetry obviously it's it's written words that are put together beautifully um do you use any sort of like themes or just kind of like techniques that you use in poetry in your own life yeah i think a lot of people say that i talk the way i perform poetry mm. and i think that's something i learned i used to i was a theater kid so i learned how to act and how to play these different characters so that's something that i really use when i do poetry because I can be discussing different people and I can make myself accentuate and be like this and become that character. So I'm so thankful I have that because now that's a skill that I use, especially when it comes to making sure that you keep a mask on your emotions, because a huge part of this is it is vulnerable and you want to make sure that you are able to get your words out without falling apart. So by being that calm, cool, collected really helped and for poetry, I don't have a specific theme. It's mostly like spoken word, free, free verse. It's whatever really comes to me and just topics. Sometimes I'll just wake up in the morning and write something down and it's never been anything where it's structured, but it sounds good. I, they're like you, like, you did it perfect, but like you had zero structure and you can do whatever you want, which is why I always tell people, if you ever want to write something down, there's no, you never have to put anything in the box. You can do whatever you want. Mm. So I know that you're not a high schooler anymore because we went to high school. Yeah. Um, what, are, what were your plans after high school and what are your plans for the future now? So for high school, I did really well in high school. I, I graduated with a 4.0. Um, I did everything right except having money to go to school. So I decided that after finishing high school, I was going to go to Hartnell College so that I could do my two years at um, community college so that I could transfer and I'm so grateful that I did. I, there was so much, like, I felt so horrible because I was like, why did I work this hard? And then I'm going to Hartnell. But being at Hartnell really showed me it doesn't matter where you go. It's what you do with it. And I was able to see that even though I was still at home, even though I was still going to a school in my city and it wasn't necessarily a UC or, you know, I did so much with what I had that I was like, I'm supposed to be here. Okay, cool. Because everything works out for a reason. And a lot of the opportunities that I'm doing now, I would have never had if I had left mm. and scholarships and stuff like that. So now I'm able to go to school without worrying about it when I transfer. Oh, uh, and so what about where you're transferring now? Yeah, so I chose to go to CSU Sacramento or Sacramento State, as it's usually known as. Um, I chose the school because I got offered a job over there and I want to go into like politics and nonprofits. So that's kind of the hub. And I worked for assembly member Robert Rivas and by shadowing him and like mayors and all these other people, I was kind of like, I'm going to take 
people's jobs. Like, I'm going to get my degree and go take your job. Great. So that's kind of why I chose the school, because I'd rather be somewhere where I know action is happening. Mm. And so that was like a huge thing where I was like, they have things in place where I know that it can, I can benefit from whatever I do now. Right. And so what's the one thing you're going to miss from Salinas? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's weird, but the roads and like, I think people would be like, oh, I miss this. But like, I have a little sister. So before COVID, it would always be like, oh, drop her off, pick Mm -hmm. up someone else, do this. And it's, I won't have the roads anymore. And I was thinking about it. Like when you're from, like when it's your hometown, you can go anywhere without even thinking, you know, you live your, your entire life. So I was like thinking to myself, like, I'm going to move somewhere and not know the roads. I'm going to have to use my directions all the time. Like it's not, it's not home, you know? And I think we take like little things like that for granted where I'm like, I've literally walked through Salinas doing these marches and like all this stuff that I've done where I'll never be able to do that again unless I come back after, mm. you know? So I'm like, the roads, I'm just going to miss that. What about um, being in community college and being in Harnell? Like, what was one of the, maybe like an experience you had that really helped you be ready for uh, Sacramento State? I think one of the biggest things that happened and that I love about Harnell is that it's not that they specifically push you to go to a transfer, like to transfer, they push you to do better while you're still at heart now. And so I had counselors and like teachers and like these mind blowing educators who were able to get me ready when it came to transferring, but also made it that I became a better person and not a better student. Mm. And that's something that we need to understand that when it came to high school, it felt like we were there, they, we did whatever, take a test and then please get out of our school, you know, right. whereas at Hartnell, I was able to be a part of the Umoja Foundation and fight to get that enforced so that African-American students would have resources on campus, especially because Hartnell is predominantly um, Latino. So for the small amount of uh, African-American students we had, we didn't have a lot of resources. But mm-hmm. me being Black and Mexican, I was able to kind of drift to wherever we needed, but I was also able to be like, while I'm here, like, let's make sure we have resources for this. And there were so many teachers who were like, yes, let's do it. We're behind you. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that I'm also going to miss because I know going to a bigger school, you won't always be able to make those personal connections because there's so many students. But at Hartnell, they made it a point to start a relationship with you. And they're people that I still communicate with now, even after I graduated. Nice. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people have a misconception of what college means. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe some like feedback you got from other students going into community college, knowing that you were an outstanding student in high school? Yeah, I got, a, honestly, I got a lot of garbage. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I had a lot of like friends and peers who were basically told me I was throwing my potential away that mm. they didn't understand why I wasn't leaving. And another big part on why I didn't leave was because I didn't know what I was going to do. And that's mm. something that we need to really talk about because being pushed out of high school, it feels like, okay, like, let's wipe our hands off, we're done. Hmm. But it isn't that there's so many people I know who weren't prepared to go to school. And they also ended up returning back. You know, we see that in high percentages, because we have this unrealistic image of what we think college is going to be. Like, we see these movies, and we're like, yeah, it's parties, it's this, we're college experience. But then they don't understand the amount of work that goes into it, money, time, things like that. And so being at Hartnell allowed me to see that I was taking the best route financially and for my career. 
and it helped me gain I did I think within these two years I did like 10 internships you know so I was able to work in my community while getting my degree and that's something that's super important because at the end of the day we're not going to be in school forever it feels like we are but at the end of the day what are you going to do with what you got it's a piece of paper but it also has significance and a significance on where the rest of your life is going to be oh yeah definitely is there anything else you want anyone to know about you know your life in general before we move on to a quick speed round of questions which is just uh allows us to get to know you a little bit better with questions that you know are usually off topic not really about me but about everyone that your story makes you you know and your story is your character and i think no matter what you have gone through like trauma when it comes to pain any of that i tell people to embrace it because at the end of the day the only person you're going to have is you mm. so it took me a long time to like love myself and love my scars and be like you know it's okay you're a right. survivor and it also turns to a point where you stop calling yourself a victim and you start calling yourself a survivor and a warrior and so i just want to tell people that no matter what you go through you are a soldier you know you are a warrior you deserve to be here you are loved and no matter what you go through you don't know who you could meet that has gone through the same thing just open your heart <laughs> you're totally right and for anyone else who's listening and feels that way kenya and i love you 110 percent, 110 um so moving on to this quick speed round of questions it just allows us to ask you questions that usually aren't I mean, it doesn't come up organically in a conversation and then we could dive deeper into them so the first one what is your favorite food i'm it's not ghetto but spaghetti like I just made some yesterday. It was popping, but it's because growing up, like spaghetti, like for a can is like a dollar. Like it's a cheap thing. Right. But then now that I have money, I'm like, like we stable, but I still want spaghetti. I feel like it's mm. one of those childhood things where it's like, that's my meal for life. Do you make it, <laughs> do you make it like any sort of like different way? Do you add anything that usually people don't add? Or is it just like plain spaghetti with like bread? No, it's plain. It's just, you got to put spices in it. Like mm. I, I, I see a lot of people making and they're like, whatever's in the can is in the can. Like, no, baby, I'm gonna need you to go to the cabinet and grab something to put <laughs> in there. It's just spices and like greens and whatever else. And you have to have bread, like garlic mm. bread with that, max. <laughs> and so I guess on the opposite side of that, what is your least favorite food? Food. I'm actually a picky eater. Mm. So if like, I don't eat lettuce or tomatoes on my hamburgers. Like I'm like, kind of like that. So I would say the, well, my least favorite, like, is tomato a fruit or a vegetable? You, I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know, but I hate tomatoes. So anything that has tomatoes in it is like, my spaghetti does not have that in it. Like mm. I love ketchup, hate tomatoes. So I don't have a food, but I hate tomatoes. So you, wait, you don't like spaghetti with tomatoes? <laughs> no, that's why it's so hard because everything has tomatoes in it, but tomatoes right. by itself is garbage. <laughs> oh, but you, but you like tomatoes in spaghetti though? It's fine. If it's going to be in my spaghetti, then we're chilling because right, like sure. you don't taste it because it's in the sauce. But right. anything else, like I want to barf. I don't know. It's just my thing. Also watermelon. And people make so much jokes about it because I'm black and they want to be like, oh, you don't like watermelon? No, it tastes like moldy water. My mom doesn't like it either. Interesting. I hate watermelon. I love, I mean, have you ever had like <laughs> sweet watermelon? Yes, I just don't like you any don't like watermelon. Interesting. What about? I don't know what about like different varieties of tomatoes or like what about a tomato don't you like? I don't know the seeds like when you like 
I don't know the tech. I feel like it's texture things yeah. for me. I'm like, I don't like that. And it's like tar. <laughs> All right. And the next question is, what is the coolest place you've been to? Um, I was just thinking about this. The coolest place when I was in middle school, um, I funded to go to Washington, D.C., which mm. is like incredible. And for me, I love crime, like um, crime TV, true crime, stuff like that. And we went to the crime museum there where they have the um, like Bonnie and Clyde cars oh. and like the bullets. And then they had the, what's his name? The guy who was the clown and he killed kids. I don't know that it, it, this podcast got super dark. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> they had like his clown costume. They had stuff from the KKK. Oh wow! Like, they, they had everything, and they had like um, cloths, badges. They had like chains from slaves. Like they had everything there, and it's just like a museum that holds everything. And it just being there, I was like, whoa! Because my grandma loves CSI. Right. So when she was like, you need to go to the museum, and so I went, and I was just like, oh, I sent her all the pictures. She loved it. What was like your favorite <laughs> exhibit that they had? my i think my favorite one was the uh what was it they had ted bundy they mm. had his car and that was just crazy to see because they had it open and then they had like the crutches because he would fake that like oh i need help to my car oh, yeah, and he yeah. would just snatch them right. so they had the car and i was just thinking like it was dark i was like how many women did he take yeah. like and you guys have this like you know so there's like a dark side of that stuff but it's interesting to be educated because mm the way predators work like you need to be educated on that stuff but it was also interesting to see that history has been preserved especially a case like that that was so dynamic yeah and so just kind of extra it was just so yeah. much and he was smart that's the thing he was mm. super smart mm. <laughs> that's what makes it scarier because you're yeah. like how many serial killers are walking among us you never know uh, yeah <laughs> and um i know this one's a big one for you but what's your favorite author Ooh, yeah uh, you already knew i love yeah. books mm -hmm. um i would say too when it comes to horror um it would i like reading like all kinds of books so like stephen king gillian flynn but when it comes to poetry like rudy francisco is one of my top poets um because he just honestly i'll probably <laughs> let you borrow one of the books that i have from him he's just such a dynamic poet and mm. he honestly talks a lot of what he talks about is being a man and talks toxic masculinity and like loving yourself so i think it's important to understand people even if you're not them so understanding different cultures other genders stuff like that so i really love his work cool so yeah obviously thank you for helping us and helping us understand a little bit more about who you are as a person and now i really want to move on to really what you're going to talk about today which is you taking a stand up for people that don't have a voice and for different organizations and issues that are currently happening and i know you do so much so I'm not even going to try to explain. I'm going to hand it off over to you. Cool. So based off of everything that I kind of went through as a child, it led to me, once I found my voice in poetry, I, I started doing activism when I was 12. Hmm. And I remember my first one was like an MLK march that happened in like Monterey or something. And from there, I started to meet these people and other activists. And now I'm 20. And some of these activists I've been working with for a really long time. So it's great to be in an environment where everyone's on the same page and we're fighting for the same things. So most of my work has to do with social justice, just making sure that everyone, and it seems simple to people, just equality, making sure that everyone is receiving the same resources, receiving the same amount of care that other people do. And it's a conversation that a lot of people don't like having. They've told me straight to my face that they don't like what I do, but I'll keep doing it. 
And so pretty much what I'm working with right now is the Black Lives Matter movement, which is behind me. Nice. And um, part of it is what I do is the activism side and the poetry side. So I get to perform pieces. Um, one of the pieces I've been doing specifically is for George Floyd, which is a poem that I wrote um, for George Floyd and basically my future child and how um, one of the main things that people don't know is that he called out for his mother before he died. Mm -hmm. And so I do it from the perspective of being a future mother, what I'm going to have to teach my kid being a person of color, being a black boy or girl in this country. And what I try to do through my activism and poetry is I tell people a gateway. Um, it's I'm able to, the way I do poetry allows people to be in my shoes for a moment to understand my perspective. And that's why we have so much challenge when it comes to social justice and Black Lives Matter and anything else that we try to do is a lot of people think we're trying to be higher than them when all we want is to be equal. We want mm. to be on the equal plane. It's never been Black Lives Matter more. Mm. You know, so th these are conversations that we need to have and through poetry and through my work with these organizations like Ages of Change, uh, Community 831, um, YWCA, through all these organizations and different platforms, I get to communicate and be like, this is what we want. You know, and it's hard because media may be saying one thing, but me and you face to face is a completely different story. Mm -hmm. So my thing is kind of um, what I love. One of the activists said is we're bringing the neighbor back into the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I fight to do to remember that at the end of the day, we're going to go home to our families. Mm -hmm. But while I'm still here, I'm going to be marching mm -hmm. and you can join me or you can stay home and understand, you know, COVID is crazy. You guys can do whatever you want, but I'm all about getting people more active, learning more and helping any way that I can. You know, what are some misconceptions that people have about activism and social justice that you can just break and everyone who's listening pretty much be like, you know what, I can do that too. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so glad you asked because one of the main things that I need to tell people is that when it comes to activism and the protests that are going on, there is no looting, there's no rioting occurring. And that's something that I really, I wish people would believe because I've gone to so many for this past two months and none of them have got violent. And when they did, it was from the other side. It was mm. people throwing garbage at us. It was people trying to run their cars through us. It's gotten crazy. It's like a movie, but we're still, the thing is they think they can scare us into not marching anymore. And that's been a tactic for as long as we can remember the civil rights movement, death threats. So I have other activists who are getting death threats for all of the stuff we're doing. My organizations are getting in trouble because we're deciding to stand, hmm. you know? So one thing I'm trying to tell people is to not believe everything that you are seeing on the television, because I'm out there on the streets doing this stuff. And I didn't even see that happen. Someone reported that someone got violent. I was at that march. No one got violent. We walked, you know, so those are things that we need to keep in mind. And activism is for everyone. You mm -hmm. can advocate any way you want. It could be from at home. It could be donating. It could be signing petitions. I know I, I'm a college student. I know we don't have money to be throwing out there, but there are many ways that you can advocate for your community, especially during this time that it's COVID. I know a lot of people aren't open to going outside and risking it, but that's a risk that I take. And that's completely fine because that's my decision. Yeah. The whole thing is let everyone have their own decisions when it comes to this stuff. And if you want to advocate, advocate, do what you want. <laughs> and the name of this kind of like section of the podcast is taking a stand. Um, how do you think, and um, how do you think other people of color, everyone really can take, take a stand today um, even if they weren't going to go out to protest, what, what advice would you give them? 
Yeah, I think you can take a stand in many different ways. I think we have it a lot easier than our parents did before us mm -hmm. because we have social media, we have the internet. And so it also helps us become more aware of the things that are happening, like the Yemen crisis, everything that's happening with Muslims in China. So things like that, we can become more educated on that. And taking a stand could be sending out emails. Mm -hmm. There's all these sites that provide resources. Hey, you need to email this person. You need to call this person. I've been calling states that aren't even <laughs> near me. I've been calling <laughs> New York and, and like these different cities and being like, hey, they don't ask you if you're a resident, first off. They don't right. ask you any of that. They say, do you have anything that you would like us to know, anything you would like us to report? And in those ways, that is you taking a stand. It's you saying that this is wrong. I'm going to do something about it. But a mm. lot of people would rather retweet it or like it. And there's there's power in that. It, get, it shares, but it's also we need to take more steps. And petitions is a huge thing. We've been seeing so much get done because of petitions. So if you don't feel like walking out and being in all this chaos, then stay home. That is completely fine. Like, I'd rather everyone stay safe and feel safe. But if you want to get involved, there's things like Community 831 who post the march that, marches that are happening in Monterey County, like, every day. There's Agents of Change. I believe there's other podcasts, too, that do all the information that have everything that is going on. You can literally look up hashtag marches Monterey County and you can see everything that is going on because we want to make sure that everyone knows what is going on. And especially we want to make sure that everyone's safe about it. Mm. And keeping it a little bit focused, um, knowing that you are a person of color, um, how do you think your experiences being an activist for social change are different than someone who's white? It's completely different. So one thing that I always have to be aware of is that I'm in more danger than my white counterpart, especially because I am black and Mexican. Mm. And that is something that I try to let people know that I don't get a break. It is either a Mexican man or woman on the TV getting killed or is a black person. We have never gotten breaks. And so for me, I keep moving because of it. But I also know that my actions can cause damage to happen to me and my family because a lot of people don't like seeing me out there. I've got my own share of people who are telling me I need to shut my mouth and go in the kitchen or do whatever. And especially because I'm a woman, I know if anything goes down, there are multiple ways that I can be hurt. Mm -hmm. So I always keep that in mind, but I, we need allies or we call them accomplices. We need mm -hmm. them by our side. And when it comes to the activism, what the term we use is white shield. And so we have a lot of our friends who are activists and they'll, if the cops show up, they go in front of us because they know that they are the counterpart that is going to keep us safe because mm. they, one of my friends who's huge, she always says that I understand that there is a certain privilege because of the color of my skin. And it's about enacting that privilege and using it so that you can protect others. Mm. And I would do the same if I was born a different skin color, but I wasn't, you know, so having people like that who are fighting with us, and especially when it comes to this movement, a lot of people haven't believed us for a long time. Mm -hmm. My only experience is with being like, with the receiving end of racism and bullying and stuff like that. Me growing up, most of my bullying was because I was black, you know, I was always being called the N-word. I was always being outed by teachers and all that. I never had anyone that supported me until like middle school when I met my teacher. So it's that different whereas my white friends were like oh yeah they made make fun of my like this and they would make comments i'm like well they said it they said they hated me because i was black and they said that 
they didn't want to be black. If they touched me, they would turn, uh, you know? So imagine what that does to someone's character that they are seen as filth because of something they didn't have a choice in. Mm. So it's that kind of privilege where we understand that when it comes to these spaces alike, is I'm going to be treated way different than someone else who is white. And, it, it, and it's nothing to be angry about. It's not that I'm like, oh, they get treated. No, we understand that, but I never hold it against anyone. Mm. That's the thing. We're in this together. And if they're going to fight by my side, I fight by their side too. Mm. You know, social, uh, social justice is something that is going to be happening every day in the future. It's going to be a thing. It's not going to go away. How are you preparing for how social justice is going to change in the future, knowing that maybe some of this hype and people that are retweeting and like liking is going to go down? Like, how do you think you're going to change maybe, or are you going to change anything that you're currently doing because of that hype? Or are you going to try harder? Or what are you encouraging other people to do? Yeah, I'm encouraging people that when we say that this is not a moment, it's a movement. Mm. Mm. And it's also something that they say in Hamilton, which I love, but <laughs> it, it's true that this isn't just something, this isn't a blimp. This is our lives. At the end of the day, if we stop marching, more people die. And we're seeing that because even when we started marching, we've had what, six female, black females have been killed. All these black men are being lynched, you know? So this is a problem where we're seeing that it's not stopping. So if it's not going to stop, we're not stopping. So it means pushing harder. It means getting these organizations and putting them together. It means making people upset. And that's the thing. Like, they get upset if we keep marching. We're going to keep marching because I'd rather you be upset than me be dead. And that's the thing. I didn't choose a career. I didn't choose my skin. You know, so it's a conversation that we need to have and will continue to have. And if that means pushing harder as times go, then we push harder. And I know that I have so many people behind me who are going to be doing the same because it needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you tell someone who says like being an activist doesn't change anything? Like, what would you say to that person? I wish I had receipts. Cause, <laughs> cause I, when I'm faced with that, they're not in the streets. They're not in these city council meetings. They're not talking to these mayors or to these politicians about like change. They're not, they don't have a seat at the table, you know? So being able to fight and be an activist, I know my work. I don't have to prove it to anyone and be like, oh, well, I did it. No, at the end of the day, I know what I've done. My other activist friends know what they have done and will continue to do it. It doesn't mean that we need someone to be like, oh, well, I don't necessarily know because we've seen the impact we have had just these couple of months doing this. Imagine if we did this for a year, the amount of change that has happened already when it comes to petitions and calling city council members and making people accountable for their jobs the things that they sign on to protect us, we're making sure that these people are out here, making sure that their promises come correct. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that in the future, anything will change? And maybe like how will activism change in the future? Is it going to be different? Or is it going to be even more vocal than what it is today? I think slowly and surely it's becoming even more vocal because mm. we're getting more people. Mm. You know, I've I've been doing this for a long time, but I'm also meeting people who are just getting started. So I've been seeing a lot of people burn out and it's, it's something that happens. Self-care is such an important thing, especially when we're putting ourselves at risk being in these streets, but we are getting new people every day. More people are joining us. So I don't think this fire is ever going to burn out. I think it's going to get brighter because 
imagine if Monterey County <laughs> were to ship to the entire state. You know, what if it, instead of it being locally in Salinas, what if it was everywhere? And we know that it's happening. It's not just in Monterey County or Salinas. Mm-hmm. It's happening all co- over the country. In other, we have people in different countries rooting for us. So I understand that there are going to be, people are going to try to stop us, but I don't think anything's ever going to change. I think that we're going to keep going until we see change. Yeah, definitely. What, what change do you want to see? for like a first change do you think that will lead to you know the next change to become easier is there something that you kind of wish is like will be the domino effect like do you have that sort of like mentality or do you have like an idea of what that law is going to be yeah um well specifically one of the things that i work with is pause the calls it's an organization that um, basically works on stopping the calls that happen when it comes to racial profiling because we know that when a call is placed, you put a black life in danger. It doesn't right. even necessarily have to be black. It could be a black and brown life because we understand, and it's also an understanding with amongst people that people of color are terrified of cops. Yeah. I can honestly, a line in my poem is, I fear cops more than burglars. So when it comes to that, our message is making sure that we talk in the restaurant that we had talked about before, um, there was this woman who had called the cops twice a week for the last five months. Mm. So she had like hundreds of calls and it was um, calling on a church next door. And it was because they were on the parking lot, but the parking lot was because they were going to church and it became this huge thing. And so we ended up having an, um, an intervention where we discussed with her. We had people come forward who had gone through police brutality saying that when you make that call, you put my life at risk. Because what you, instead of, we gave her resources, instead of calling the cops, these are different ways you could do it. Mm. Having the conversation, putting a sign up, there's so much more than you can do than constantly going to the cops for reassurance and safety and things like that. Because that's something that you can do as a white woman. Mm. But I can't do that because I'm not going to call the cops. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to ensure that the cops don't come. Mm. You know, so being a part of that organization has given me a small way through, because we want systemic like change. But we can also start by something like this, and especially because San Francisco just passed it, the Karen Act, which they can, if you racially <laughs> profile and call the cops, you can be charged. And that's mm-hmm. such a huge step, and we're trying to get that here. Mm-hmm. So now it's talking to politicians and all this stuff and people who are in power and being like, we need this here because right. it is domino effect. Once that happens, what else can we do? How can we make this world safer for everyone? Right. And so for those listening as we end off, what are some like concrete steps that you have taken that, w- that have helped you become an activist or is there even a structure to become an activist? Yeah, um, I think that there isn't a structure to become an activist. I think it's, I always tell people, it's just about taking the steps. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do because you're getting out of your comfort zone. It's not only, it's not I anymore, it's we, mm. it's a collective. So once you get into that mindset, it's a, you kind of lose the fear. So for a long time, I was like, oh, I'll just do it. But I know that I put myself in danger being a part of this stuff. But I also make sure that I advocate in the way that I can do it safely, especially with COVID regulations. Mm. And there's ways that you can do it too. And then you can be an activist from home. You know, you don't have to be like, we're seeing all this stuff on social media with these people out there. And I've been out there too. But I believe that everyone can truly be an activist if they're fighting for change. There isn't any, there's no contract. There's nothing you have to sign to become and You don't have to get any education in it. It's about fighting and advocating for your community while you are still here. 
Yeah, and I know this talk and this podcast is really going to help individuals who want to become activists take you as the, the first few that are actually being an activist in the, you know, person of color community who are truly creating a change. Like I know that you're part of all of these different organizations and that you're like this pedestal of activism, you know, like if I think about activism, I'm going to think about you. And so it's so great to have you on the podcast. And um, I want to make sure that everyone knows that we're going to leave your Twitter and Instagram handle in the bio and in the comments and also some resources that you provided to us so that they can actually create change. And do you want to say anything about those specific resources? Yeah. So um, what I put is just my website, Kenya Burn Poetry. I put updates on there as well. It's not just my poetry. It's kind of the activist side, news articles, things like that, that can kind of um, allow you to get a more in-depth view if you like, oh, is this something that I want to do? If like the whole activism thing, you don't have to jump into it. You can, there's so many people out there who are posting and you can look kind of through their eyes and see, is this something for me? So that's something I really um, tell people to make sure before you step in because there are things, <laughs> there are conditions with it. And some of the petitions I put were change.org. They do most of the petitions on there. There's Black Lives Matter, the donation page and the petition page. So that if there's anything that you want to do to support Black Lives Matter in the movement, you can go there. And anything else with that is will probably be in the description. I have a lot of resources. Yeah, we'll make sure to add those. So thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Like I said, it's been a great honor and I hope you have a great day. Thank you. And thank, thank you for the podcast. Honestly, we need more of this. <laughs>